0: back on our series on mission, it was one of those things where we, I know you guys are probably used to this, but we we just extended the series longer than normal. It's something we tend to do quite often and uh, we were and we were we were working through this and all the the missions and all the stuff that's been going on and we just realized we need to do one more week on this and um, and then so we, just, we decided last yesterday to add a, a dynamic to it and we're actually we're going to tag team today. We're going to teach this thing together. Uh, we were sitting at Desert Oasis last night and we were just studying this concept that we're about to share with you and we just kept as we were unpacking it we realized man there's like so much in here right like this could be an entire series just in of itself. Yeah, I but think it's, I'm gonna
1: go write a book now. Yeah, right. In my spare time, all of my spare time. I mean, we just, we, Sarah came and watched our kids and put them to bed, and we mogoed, and we biked downtown, and on the way there, I mean, we were just like so excited. I mean, God's just put something in us, and all of a sudden, it was just this bantering of like, oh, well, this, and then this, and then God's been telling me this, and God's been showing me this, and it's just really cool. So we're pretty excited. We're today. just
0: excited. I love it when like, you begin studying something. I, you, I don't know how many of you guys study this way or not, but whenever we can begin studying something and we just realize it's opening us up to more and more and more and more and more. So that's kind of where we are uh, today. Now, one thing that we said last week, and if you missed last week, it's one of, I try not to like constantly push people to online and to podcasts and all that, but if you missed last week, it is one message I really want to encourage you guys to go back. Uh, and here. And the reason for that is we, we, we focused a lot on our mission last week and why we're here. Um, and, and one thing that we said was we, we exist for a mission. Like we're here for a reason. We have a vision. Uh, Don and I, um, we believe that God has given us an amazing mission for a lot of what God could do in the city and what he's going to do in our community. But, um, but what makes the gospel compelling and what we, we, we hope makes this church compelling and what we believe makes Jesus compelling is it's not where we're going, even though we do have a trajectory of where we believe that we're going. Uh, it's, it's what we've been called to do. Right here in, in Detroit, in our community, and in our midst. And if you and we said this last week, and I'm gonna apply this to today too, but if you only are here or whatever it is you're doing, you're only doing because of where it's gonna take you or where you're going, then if and when that thing veers and you don't end up in the same place that you thought you were going to be when you started. Um, then you're going to have all sorts of questions about, well, why is it different than I thought it would be? Uh, Why did we put all this into this? Why is it going this way? So we we want to be careful. We we want to cast a vision, but we don't want to sell people vision. We, We want people to be, we want to be people of vision who are moving together and journeying together, but we're here for the journey. And the fact is, and this is what we're going to dive into a little bit today, is it's the same in your own life. It's the exact same for you in your life. You're going to set your goals. You're going to set your dreams. You're going to make your plans. And one dream will often lead you to another dream. And God's going to, maybe he'll provide you with a job. Uh, and then maybe when you're there, maybe you think, oh, this is just a job, but then you get to this job and all of a sudden your heart connects so much to this organization and the type of work being done in this place that you begin to dream of what could happen here in this, in your job or in whatever God's placed you. And then before long, you start to see how God has actually used your dreams to lead you to your destiny, and to lead you to where you're ultimately going to end up. But, and if you live for the process, and you live for the journey, and you live for the mission that God has called you to, then when that dream leads you to your destiny, and you end up where you're ultimately going, you're not going to be upset if it maybe it looks a little bit different uh, than perhaps it, it, you saw it in your mind at the beginning. Um, So because we have to understand that God has a plan for your life He knows the plans that he has for you And they are so much better than anything that we ever could have hoped or dreamed or imagined Uh, So, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs, it says we can make our plans But it's the Lord who actually directs our steps It's the Lord who actually leads us to where we're going So at our church, and we want to encourage you this for your own life Hold vision somewhat loosely like, hold the destination somewhat loosely, but the mission, right? The great commission that Jesus gives us, the ministry of reconciliation, as Paul puts it, those are the things we hold on to very tightly. Here. So we talked about mission all of October. And I know I'm just kind of recapping some of this before we dive into this, but I want you to understand why we're gonna teach what we're gonna to do today uh, first. We spent all October on missions. We've been supporting a lot of missionaries. We've been of the conviction that even though God's given us a mission and a vision to do here, a lot of work to do here, it can be very easy to just keep everything that comes in here because we're always raising our own money for Joy of the D for backpack giveaway for all the stuff that we do in the community. It's very easy to keep that here. But what we what we were of the conviction of is that we need to so. Season of what God's doing all over the world, and we need to trust God with what we're doing here. So we so we started supporting missionaries this year, and we brought three of them in this this uh, this in the month of October. We're in, no, in November now. So we heard from missionary from China, uh, people who are literally they're moving their whole family across the world to a place that the gospels, for the most part, not even legal, right? Where churches are being targeted. And they're even being destroyed by the government, right? We heard from them. We heard from Kenny and Deborah, who are our our friends and our missionaries, to Haiti, who have this amazing orphanage and amazing uh, just process that what they put people through to give people dignified jobs in Haiti. Uh, And then, of course, we heard um, from uh, from our pastors, our missionaries going to Indonesia. So you heard about the importance and the significant work uh, being done around the world. We heard about it last week, about the importance and the significance of what's being done here in Uh, our city through this church and through our partners. Uh, And we believe in that in our whole heart. We believe in the mission here with our whole heart. But the problem with hearing a bunch of sermons from a bunch of people who are doing full-time ministry, um, people who are going to places that God obviously called them to go, uh, doing things that God obviously called them to do, the problem with that is it can be very easy to then diminish the work you do in the marketplace, or in your family, or whatever your situation is in what God's called you to do, no matter what that may be. So our goal is that um, we can kind of reshape that a little bit for you today, and our goal is that every single person in this place leaves here with a new sense of significance and purpose to the work that you do every single day. In, in, in your own context. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually start today by reading a passage right at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, it's, it's in Genesis 1, it's uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. It says this, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and then let man have dominion Over the fish, and of the seas, and over the birds of heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of man, God created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds and of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, Lord, we thank you, Father God, that uh, you're just evident in this place today and holy spirit we invite you here we ask that you would speak through us today father god that everything that you'd have us to say we would say and that everything else would fall to the ground uh, before it ever even comes out of our mouths god we love you and we thank you so much we just ask that your will be done in this service still today and it would be empowering today as people go back into their their lives their marketplaces their jobs their careers their families uh, to make a difference for you it's in jesus name we pray amen amen
1: all right you guys ready to unpack this we're going to go a lot of places, so if you miss something, just come, come on to the next place with us. Um, so I'm going to start out by talking about this uh, thing in Genesis. Uh, there's this beautiful thing, this literary term they call an inclusio, so don't think about what the term is. Basically, like, let's include everything within this frame. So you have this, what happens is you have this picture of something at the beginning and a picture of something later on in this thing that you're reading, this literary thing, at the end. And they're very similar. And when you have this frame, and when you're reading this, and this happens in the Bible a lot, so we, we can learn to start to look for this. Um, the purpose is, is structural. It's, it's to start, it's to, it's to give you the start of this beginning and end thing. This is what we're going to talk about the entire time. Everything that we talk about will be in that frame. So what you have in Genesis is you have this picture of, like, you have the tree, you have the, you have the water, you have this creation, these new things. And then w- the most beautiful thing that happens is in all of the canon, which is the Old Testament, the New Testament, this is the whole Bible put together, then you have at the very end in Revelation, the very last two chapters that do the same exact thing that we see in Genesis. So I think there's something really cool that we need to see here, and so we'll keep this in mind as we're, as we're going through this whole this, this study today. Um, but you have this dw- dwelling place of God, where God is. He's in the garden with Adam. He's in the garden with Eve. He's in the garden in this space, and it's this beautiful presence of where God is dwelling with them. There's no sin. Everything is new. It's beautiful, and then a thing happens. And then fast forward through the whole story into Revelation, where he says that god god says i'm going to dwell with my people my place to dwell is with man yeah i'm going to dwell there and this thing that happened the sin thing separated man out of that so we see this this theme that god is trying to get us back to stay in this frame if you will um and and this beautiful thing where things are new things are as the in, the original intention of creation at the beginning, and the original intention of creation at the end. So we're going to look at what that looks like in the middle and how God is trying to restore that to reconcile that through his entire word. And it's beautiful. So those are a couple of the pictures of that in Clusio, and we'll talk about a few of those. So the way this works
0: is so everything, so uh, the beginning and the end are the same. They're begin, in Everything be- in the middle is taking us from the beginning to the to the end. yeah it's just it's, that-
1: it's it's a it's like a circle it's like a sort of I mean not not technically but this we have this starting place and if you look at it all throughout the bible it's trying to get back to this starting place right. and then in revelation there we are at the starting place again and that's what the whole that's what our lives are about that's what the word is about every story I can I can show you how every story does that and it's so cool it's so cool. So I encourage you to read like Genesis 1-2 and then go read Revelation 22 and 21 and 22.
0: So just before we get back to the passage we just read, that Genesis 1-26, 27, and 28, um, I want to I share with you, most of you probably read the Genesis account, Genesis 1, but this is what happens right before that, okay? The Bible says that God created earth. He created the sky. Uh, he created light. He created plants. He created trees, Okay. Verse 7 and 8 says that God actually created an expanse. He separated the waters from the expanse. And he said that, uh, the Bible says that he then called the expanse heaven. Okay, He, he gave it a name. Then it says he called the dry land earth, he called the light day. Okay, so God is creating these things at the beginning of Genesis. Okay, then he names these things at the beginning of Genesis. Then we get to verse 26, so Genesis 1:26 and 27, which is a very, very important passage that we absolutely have to understand here. And it, it talks about the way that God actually made man and woman because it's, it's actually a little bit different than everything else that he created, right? He made, because he made everything he created, he created with his breath, but from, from man he created from the dirt when he breathed on it with his breath. But he said that man was actually created like God, created like him. It says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So he made humankind, mankind, men, women, in the very image of God. So the creation account... It begins with God doing work. Okay, God's breathing. God's creating something out of nothing—something that humans are actually not able to do. So, like, we're, we can be creative, but we can't create something out of nothing. Humans have to be creative within the way that we have to, within the way that we create out of the existing things. God can create from nothing. God gave us all this stuff that we can build off of, but we can only create within what He's given us. So that's one thing that separates us. That makes it very obvious. This is God we're just man we're just humankind but for humans like it's just it's it's all a little bit different right but then so that's 126 27 but then in verse 28 we get what is known as the cultural mandate this is the very first assignment that humankind was ever given by God now I want you to notice something about this okay Genesis uh, 1 and 2 are the story of what life was like in the garden before the fall of man Okay, so Genesis 3 is where we record, uh, is where we recorded the fall. So even though something happened at the fall that certainly has an effect on work, which we're not going to be able to get into today, the fact is that even before man fell, even before the fall of man, work existed in the garden. Work was always part of God's ordered plan, and it was always what he intended on us having. Now, humans were made in the image of God, okay? Humans are a reflection of God, and so working is not a flawed or a fallen reflection of God work is actually something that it was there from the beginning And God has always, always been working. There's a verse in John 5 where Jesus actually says, my father's always at work, and I can only do what he tells me to do, but I'm always at work because he's always telling me to be at work, right? So there's a sense of God always at work up in heaven. We like to think that God's like up there watching through a screen, just kind of watching as we toil and work and labor, and he's like laughing at us, man. You know, it's not like that. God's not doing that. God's actually working the whole time. And So when we work, we're actually reflecting God. Okay? But in the cultural mandate, this is what it says. Genesis 1, 28 says this. This is, this is the mandate given to humankind. Okay? It says, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, Again, this is another verse that there's just so, so much to unpack in this. We can't do too much to it. But when, when you read 28, verse 28, in conjunction with, actually like in thinking or in lieu of verse 26 and 27... You actually could. I noticed something as we were reading this, right? When God did the work of creating man, right? He created us what? In his image. So as we live our lives being fruitful and multiplying, and when we're doing this, it's not only through having children. and yes, we're definitely supposed to do that. But even more than just that, that's part of it. It's also in the work that we do, in the way that we cultivate, in the way that we create out of things and create a better world for people. Like, whenever we do any of those things, we are actually demonstrating God to the world in a way that only we can do. Because we're all made in the image of God, but how many of you know we're all made differently? It's like this like this morning, um, Eloise is my daughter. She's just like clinging onto me. She wouldn't stop hugging me, right? Um, and, 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 so, and, and I grabbed her and I hugged her and I held her in my arms and I realized she's very different than her three sisters. She's a, she's a sweet little baby. She's very, very different than her three sisters. Each and every person that's ever lived is a child of God. But they were, and they were made in the image of God, They were, but they were made differently than every other person. Every person is different. So when I'm holding my daughter, right, this child is, has something in her that demonstrates God's love in a way that nobody else can do. It demonstrates God's character in a way that nobody else can do, in a way that nobody else in the whole world can do. Now, so we're made in the image of God. Now, the Apostle Paul in a kind of bizarre passage in 1 Corinthians 11, makes this statement about man. He says, man is the image and the glory of God, which suddenly makes Genesis 1.28 all the more powerful and all the more meaningful, right? Because when you read the cultural mandate in light of the facts, that not only are we God's image bearers, which we are, but we're also God's glory, then what that means is when we're being fruitful and we're multiplying, we're actually filling the earth with more and more and more images of God, meaning that we're filling the earth with the glory of God. Meaning, ultimately, that when we're finally finished being fruitful and multiplying, we would have filled the whole earth with the glory of God. If you look ahead a little bit further to the book of Isaiah, down the line you get this prophet Isaiah, and he has this fascinating prophecy, and he's talking about these seraphim in in chapter 6, and they're calling out to each other, and they're surrounded, and they're shouting out, holy, 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 just like Austin said, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth
1: is filled with his glory. Is your head spinning yet? (laughs) There's so much to this, guys, and hopefully we can help you understand it this glory thing. Isaiah, he's this prophet, okay? So his, I'm going to start to connect this to your work and the things that we do, the things we put our hands to. So Isaiah, his work and the thing that he is, that God has called him in his vocation, essentially, in his job, is to be a prophet, okay? So a prophet, their tool is their mouth, right? Okay, and then he's crying out right after he sees this holy image of who God is in these angels, holy, 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 the thing that they're saying, the whole earth will be filled with your glory. He's standing here as a prophet thinking, he's, he's like, woe is me, I'm lost. Yeah, he's a prophet with, he says, my lips are unclean. My tool, the thing that I'm using for my vocation doesn't match my vocation. The very contrast of how holy God is contrasted with who he is as a human. Just it doesn 't line up with who he is in God, who he 's supposed to be, what he 's supposed to be doing, um, and hopefully that doesn 't make your head spin more but his his life think about it this way: his life is disconnected from who he is what he does every single day as a prophet is disconnected from who he is in god' he okay? go
0: worthy right?
1: i 'm not worthy that 's what he says i 'm not worthy he stands here and these angels cry about being holy, and he 's like i 'm not worthy to fill the earth with his glory. I'm not worthy to be part of that. That's part of what I'm supposed to do. How can I fill that, that glory through, through the earth? And when we separate our identity from our lives, our lives become this, this throwaway segment, who we are at home after we get home from our jobs, then, then it's What you're doing in your vocation, it shouldn't make who you are in your life as a parent, as a wife or a husband, or as just a friend or a neighbor, it shouldn't make that the throwaway segment. That's bonus material. They're all connected, okay, and who you are here at this church, it's all connected, and we're going to show you what that looks like without being like you need to declare Jesus is on the throne, like every second at your job, while Sarah's working at Chick-fil-A, she's like, Jesus loves you, and they're like, um, yeah, I mean, maybe we shouldn't do that, we should just tell him here's your food, you know, like there's a, there's a balance here, and I think God's telling us something about what this glory in, in the world, in the earth, what it looks like, and by the presence of God, we become equipped, and we, are, we realize that we're designed to reflect God, and that's something that Isaiah sees, If you look a little bit further, all of a sudden, the angels come and touch his lips with a coal, the fire, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. This fire cleanses, and it's a sign that God has called him and equipped him to be the prophet, and now he can carry that glory to the whole earth.
0: So Isaiah's sitting there. He's feeling unworthy. But Isaiah is a prophet, like she said. Isaiah saw visions. Isaiah saw what was coming. It points to something different than actually the current reality. Something more than just what's going on in this moment. You get similar verses, though, throughout the Psalms and through Habakkuk. A time that is coming in which the whole earth is going to be filled with the glory of God. And yes, God's glory is many things but ultimately God's masterpiece, his masterwork. It's not the earth, it's not the ocean, it's us. It's you and it's me. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his poema, we are his masterpiece, we are his master poem. So when God, or when Jesus goes on to give us the great commission in Matthew 28, and he says go into all the world and make disciples, what he's saying is that the church, we need to be In the business of making all things new, we talked about last week how Paul says the only ministry we're going to be giving you is the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people back to God. The Great Commission is the exact same thing. Go out in the world and actually teach people what it means to be reconciled, to come back to Jesus. Because each and every person who's roaming around in this broken world actually lives with the image, they bear the image of their creator. So for every person everywhere, they have the glory of God living in them, and they're looking for somebody who can pull that out.
1: So if we're trying to make all things new, this is in that frame. This is that inclusio. This is that beginning and end. This is where God's headed. This is where we came from. This is where he wants it. That's reconciliation. And if God's mission is reconciliation, every sphere of human, human activity matters to God. Yeah. Everything. Everything you do. How you brush your teeth. I don't know how to connect that, but it matters. It matters. Take care of your body. We've been stewards of things. We've been stewards of this earth. Your marriage, your friendships, your relationships, the people that are in your jobs with you, the way that you live, bank face your money or don't. I mean, yeah. whatever that looks like, every sphere matters. Yeah. Every ounce of it why how what does that even mean how do we connect those spheres to this this thing of god and not like over spiritualize it because i think often we just make it like oh this is so spiritual and god did a thing and there were angels and it's like no like don't over spiritual everything is spiritual it is so i want to show you how that's spiritual um and dr charlie self was one of my professors he's so awesome if you want to check out any of his materials i can help you find him He's just amazing, Um, that was his quote. Um, So this encounter, how we're encountering God, these spheres, where we're encountering God in everything is worship and everything is spiritual. Okay, so what does that look like? The source of breath, the source of life in a a body, in a physical body is breath. And if you look at Adam in Genesis, um, he was this lump of clay. And then God breathed his breath. as They use the word ruach. So I'll I'll say that word a couple times just to kind of remind you what we're talking about. But he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and created human life out of dirt, out of clay, out of nothing, right? I mean, it was something, but he created that something, so that's another discussion. So God, his spirit, his presence, these are all themes that you see in the frame beginning to end and then throughout the whole story. The whole thing, the whole canon. His activity, this is this ruach, uh, this spirit is often referred to as this activity through his spirit and creation. Um, the spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters, over the face of the deep. Some, some versions say the wind of God. So this wind, this breath, this is the ruach life, and this is where life comes from. All living things come from that life, and it depends on that divine spirit for that existence. You depend every single day on that divine life coming into your into self, that breath. If you don't take more breath, you don't keep living. Yeah. That's as real as it gets. Um, and, and, and it goes further than that. The definition and the, the explanation of it goes so much further. I'm going to try and take you into some of that. Um, but if God took back his spirit, this is in Job, if God took back his spirit to himself, and gathered himself in all his breath out of the earth, all flesh would perish all together, all at the same time, and all mortals would return to dust. So then we see in Psalm 104, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, when that ruach breath comes, they're created, and you renew. You make all things new. The face of the ground, we're the ground, Right? We came from the ground, and then that breath came, and we're renewed. So here's that theme. Do you see it? That frame? Do you see it? So God gave a lump of clay life with his ruach breath, but why? For what? What's the point? Without him, we are hopeless dust. Why us? Why this? Why human? The essence of our purpose is what we were commissioned for, beginning with Adam, with what you see in Genesis, and then what you find again in Revelation, through this narrative all the way into the Great Commission, yeah. and that, that's, that's what it is. That's what we're doing here.
0: But when you think about the Commission, the Great Commission, the word commission, it's actually, think about that word, it's one of our core values, uh, and we call all our core values co-values because they all start with C-O because they're all things that we do together. So what a co-mission is, is it's a co-mission. Mission. It's not something that we're off doing all by ourselves all of the time. It's actually something that we partner with God on, and it's something that we partner with others on. So even when Jesus gives us the commission in Matthew 20, uh, 28, 20, um, 18 through 20, what happens is he, he gives us this great commission, and then he says, but behold, you're not going to be alone. I'm going to be with you in the entire thing from now till forever. You're not alone on this mission. I'm with you. Okay? It's, that's just how it is. You are never meant to be alone on mission. It's the same with the cultural mandates. The very first assignment that God gave to man was this thing called work. Now, you've got you to you hear this, okay? So God tells him, hey, let's work, work the ground, uh, name everything, do this thing. And so man has this, Adam has this job, and he's naming things, and he's doing his job. He's doing the work for the Lord, but it becomes obvious right from the beginning That the work is great, the work is godly, but it's not going to satisfy him. It's not going to actually fulfill him. So even in the beginning, what happens is the work might be important, but God looks at it and he says, wait a second. He notices Adam's all alone. That's not good. That's not good. So he says it's not good that man should be alone, so he creates for him a helpmate, someone to do life with, someone to work with. So the mandate from the very beginning to everyone is to work, to work together and to work with God to make his glory known in all the earth, no matter where you are, no matter what your vocation is, no matter if you're at church or you're at home or whatever it might be. The writer Paul uh, later says that we are co-laborers with Christ. He says we're actually God's field, we're actually God's building everywhere that we go. So Adam, he's given this job. The job is to name. But it doesn't sound like a very spiritual job, right? You're just giving things names, yet it was the most important thing that he could do. Then after that, he's given the job of multiplying. Multiplying doesn't sound very spiritual, but yet it's the most important thing that he could do.
1: So so what do we see? This is this thing that's happening that God's called us to. But after the fall... Humanity is still made in the image of God. In this frame, we're still made in the image of God. So that work doesn't change. That call doesn't change. But our connection to him now is broken and our reflection of him is frustrated by our sin. And that's just the, that's the life we live, okay? So how do we navigate that? I don't know, let's figure that out. Um, In your work, I want you to remember, in the thing that you do, think about your job for a second or the thing that you do every day, your mom, your... I mean, like, maybe you don't get paid for what you do, but you still have a job, okay? We all do. I don't get paid for anything, do I? <laughs> we have jobs, and all the things that we do are the work of our hands. Um, but you, you are the work of God's hands, and, and we are made in his image. So if God's working with his hands, then we too are working with our hands, and your work is the work of your hands. But there's a warning somewhere in that Bible, in that frame, in that story, that idols are also the work of our hands. But this is what the difference is, and I don't want you to get stuck on the idol thing. When our work ceases to be done within the framework of our identity, as one created in the image of God, we're going to talk about what that means and how you do that, then we shift our work from the source of life to the work of our hands, and that's Hmm. when it becomes this idol. Okay, so that's like, are you scared yet? I mean, we don't want to do idols with our work, but let's talk about what that means to be, oops, I went too far. Purpose, we're going to talk about that. Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean here? Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Okay, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What are we pursuing? I made it bold so you can see it. Joy in the Holy Spirit. This whole verse kind of circles around this joy in the Holy Spirit. What is this joy in the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the Ruach, breath of life. In the New Testament, the language changed and it's the Numa. Okay? So you have this joy, but what is this joy in the Holy Spirit? This is God's delight. You and the thing that I have you doing in your job as a mom, as a pastor, as a teacher, as a friend, as a neighbor, all these things, I have designed in you something that brings delight to the creator of who you are. There's something in you. This ruach, breath of God, this pneuma. When we encounter that, when we discover and all of a sudden Maybe you're designed to play guitar on the worship team. You pick up a guitar for the first time, and all of a sudden, you come so alive. It's as if somebody breathed the Ruach breath of life into dead clay, and you feel the joy and God's delight. And there's something in you that says, I was made for this. Yeah. I was designed for this. When God put me in my mama's belly, This is what he had in mind for me. You're encountering that breath that God put in you. You're encountering it. This is through the spirit, through what's in you, what's in you already that you can't change and you can't touch. You encounter that in your life, in your work, and then all of a sudden it brings you life. Now I'm not saying you have to change careers. I'm saying we need to find what that breath of life is, and and, and that starts, it starts with salvation. It comes into fellowship and community in your church and in your friendships and in your neighborhoods in your jobs, and then it overflows. Do we have enough of it, and do we have enough of a pinpoint on our purpose to let it overflow into your work week, into your Monday, into what you do, not here, not in your families, or maybe in your families? What is that? That that thing that you're encountering, that you're created for, this this purpose, okay? So I want you to think about your jobs again. Think about your work. I want you to understand that this isn't What you do is a mission. It's not foreign and you're not in other countries. And maybe it's not in this building or connected to Courage Church. But what you do is what God created you for. And whether you're happy in your job or not, you can find purpose in it. And God has designed what you're doing right now in your life to have purpose. And I want to help you see this for just a second. So I heard this story about this car repairman. Okay, he has a small business. He's an entrepreneur. And he repairs cars. And this guy's like, oh, your job must be really fulfilling to this pastor. And this pastor's like, yeah, it's great. I mean, the mission of God, but you have a mission too. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I do. And he just broke down and told the story. He talked about how as a doctor, like doctors help people to get Better their lives when their bodies aren't functioning to do what they're supposed to do to do their life, to go to work, to be, you know, to function in their life, then they help them to function again. And the same thing with a vehicle, with a car, as a car repairman. I, people bring me these cars and they're not functioning and their lives can't function without their car. Right. So they bring it to me and when I repair that car, I'm equipping them to go out and do all the things God's designed them to do. Whether it's the church van and we pick somebody up in it, or it's mom taking her kids to school, or it's you just driving yourself to work, or whatever that looks like. He decided that this has a purpose, and I'm equipping missionaries. Whether it's a missionary mission or not, that it's all mission, all of it, everything that we do. And he decided that that he was going to have a feeding ministry out of his business. He has a small business, he has, say, eight employees, and they each have a family of five. He's feeding 40 people every single week by giving them jobs, by paying them. That's a ministry. He's a missionary. Can we start to see that? If you're an entrepreneur in this place, you have a feeding ministry. You are housing people, clothing people, feeding people. If you have a job that hires people, Can you see that? Can you guys start to see that? We need to start shifting our thinking as a church and as the body of the church that what we do out there is a mission. You don't have to do all of your work out of this building. I mean, we like to do that, but it goes out there, and we need you to see what you're doing as very, very important, okay? And even, I don't know, maybe you do like, Miranda does event planning, So how do we encounter God through these when we get together in community? I mean, I don't care that it's not in the name of church and we're not worshiping God. You're worshiping God when you're encountering people and you're experiencing the creator, okay? So I hope that you can start to see this and you're starting to think of that the Holy Spirit is depositing these ideas into your mind of how can my purpose be highlighted in what I do? And and what am I doing? Find the purpose in what you're doing. Every day, your occupations are just where you work. Every day, this is the place that God has chosen you to touch the world. So touch the world, right? That's the thing we wanna do. This is our purpose. This spirit and calling and purpose, this purpose, commissioning, equipping, this is, this is through the spirit, through that, that joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, both in Hebrew and Greek, they, they, they mean wind and breath. That's kind of this, there's a lot of pieces to it. it. It's invisibility, movement, power, life. There's all kinds of things connected with this. But the thing that I want to focus on right now is God in action. It's this idea that we don't necessarily see God moving, but we see the movement of God in action. And the Spirit brings us kind of that proof of that and, and what we tangibly see of that. And that's the, the presence of God. So, there's this encounter, this is in the spirit, this encounter, and then this commissioning, and it's experiential, experiential and functional. We have, so in, in, in the spirit, in the Old Testament, when you see the Holy Spirit, you see the signs, and then you see the vocations, and I'm going to try and go through this quickly. First um, Samuel 10:1. Samuel pours oil on Saul's head, and he says, this shall be the sign to you. That the Lord has anointed you. So this is the sign of the Spirit. This oil it represents the presence of God. Um, it's the physical sign of God's presence and a priestly anointing. And we won't talk about that today. A lot there. So Elijah and the widow at Zarephath. If you're familiar with the story, they have the oil that never runs out. That oil represents that God's presence will always be here. So anytime you see oil in the Bible, think about think about God's presence and think about how we've been anointed and called to what we're doing, um, and and I know this is hard to apply to your jobs, but I'll, I'll help you do it in just a second. Then there's this vocational thing that it's, it's this functional thing that we, we experience God and then we can function where we're supposed to, to function, where we've been created to function. It's, this, it's a sign to confirm that God's call endows you, the recipient of the spirit or whatever he's calling you to with the skills that are appropriate for your call. So if you feel like you just can't do it, God's going to equip you. He's going to give you what it takes to do it. I have filled him, Exodus 31, I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. And I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. So we're trying to build the temple here and all these things that Moses is trying to do. All of a sudden he says, I'm going to bring you the skills, I'm going to give the people the skills. And God will do that in your job, in what you're doing. You will be equipped for whatever he calls you to do wherever you're at. I hope you can sort of see that. Jesus was was commissioned. He was baptized by John, and then the dove came down. This is a tangible commissioning. It was a sign of physically touching him and commissioning him. Then in Luke, Jesus commissions the 12. He gives them the power and the authority over the demons to heal the diseases, over the thing that he asked them to do. The Spirit equips the disciples. And what he's saying here is Jesus will not abandon you in your own resources. He will give you the resources for all the things that he's asked you to do. So the disciples receive the same power by which Jesus has in the Spirit, right? And we see in Moses, Moses has this commissioning. In Exodus, he sees this burning bush. He encounters the spirit. He sees the burning bush and encounters God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He encounters God. And then there's a charge. He encounters God, he sees the spirit, and he's commissioned from that encounter with God to do the thing that he's supposed to do. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. When he's supposed to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. We'll talk about that because there's a lot of significance there. Then there's Isaiah. When Isaiah is commissioned, he stands in the presence of God and says, Woe is me. My lips are unclean. I'm supposed to be a prophet. I can't do this. God, you're too holy. I can't take the glory to all the earth. And then all of a sudden in that presence, in that spirit, then he's commissioned. He says, Go. And he says, Who can I send? You don't want to go. Who can I send? God says that to him. And Isaiah goes, Okay, no, send me. He experiences God and then all of a sudden he says, I'm gonna do it. I can do it because you're equipping me. You get commissioned and equipped. You experience and then you and then you you're equipped. You're sustained. Paul, same thing. Ezekiel, I mean it's everywhere, guys, so I don't need to go through all this. But the true significance is in these encounters with God, and we think about the Spirit and we encounter God, is not in this dynamic experience of the burning bush. That's not what it's about. The right. burning bush is a symbol okay, the vision of the Lord in the temple, the, the blinding light that Paul sees, and then he's commissioned, is found in the call of these experiences. I will send you, go, bear my name. This is reflected in Pentecost, okay, so we're going to try and plow through this. Pentecost, the disciples were commissioned and equipped. Now, I know you've all seen this, you've all heard it, Acts 2, all the things that the Spirit does, I want you to see it a little, tiny bit differently right now, and try and apply it. It confirms this divine commissioning, the the disciples' role to witness. He says, "Okay, I'm going to equip you. Okay, I'm going to equip you," and that comes in this this experience. We see signs and we see wonders, and um, and then they're equipped to witness. But the key to understanding the significance of the gift of the Spirit at the day of Pentecost, this is. These signs, okay? For Luke and the disciples and Jesus, the gift of the Spirit is vocational. Yeah. It's, it's commissioning. It's empowerment. It's not just for just the gospel. The gospel is so many more things. This purpose, commissioning, equipping. It's this dwelling place. This place where, where God wants to be, okay? I, I, I'm going to walk you through something right now that I hope that isn't confusing, but Pentecost, in Acts 2, we see wind, fire, and prophecy. Let's get that really quick. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, there was a mighty rushing wind, filled in the, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire that appeared to them and rested on each one of them. This is getting really weird, right? Okay, what's happening? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Of the Spirit gave them utterance. This wind and fire is the same wind and fire in Exodus. They went by a pillar of fire by night when they were in exile and they were wandering in the wilderness. A pillar of fire by night. The wind is what split the sea so they could walk right through it. Right? We sang about that earlier. These are the signs that God is equipping you. God is with you. He won't abandon you in what you're doing. These signs demonstrate that God was present and active, but let me show you 2 Chronicles 7, 6 and 7, what happened there and why this is the most significant thing that we can see. Solomon is dedicating the temple, the holy place in Solomon's temple. It has this garden imagery. Do you remember that frame that we talked about, the garden with the trees and the, and the presence of God? So he's building this temple, and when you walk in the temple, this is where God lives, right? This is God's dwelling place. So he's building this and he, he has these pillars and they're sort of like trees, right? Okay, so we have that imagery again and he's trying to recreate this garden. God, you dwelled in the garden. You want to dwell at the end, but how can we have you dwell with us right. right now? And this is sort of this, just the trees and the imagery. Then, and now arise. This is what happens. He says this prayer because he's going to dedicate the temple and say, okay, God, now you can come live with us. You can dwell with us like you said you want to do. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place. That's the place where he lives, where he rests after he creates, right? You, in the ark of your might, let your priests, O Lord God, those that have been anointed and called, be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in your goodness, O Lord God. Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant, and as soon as Solomon finished the prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priest could not enter the house because the glory filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground and the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever the fire on each and every one of their heads was a rededication of the temple you my friend are a temple of the holy spirit and you've heard that before but what does that mean in your jobs you pray before you go what does that mean God wants to dwell with us. Do you remember the frame? I want to dwell with you. My place, my dwelling place is with man. And in the garden, I got kicked out basically. I got ousted. But I want to be so close to you. I want to dwell in you. I want to fill the earth with my glory. That glory, it's not just like, oh, God is so beautiful. It is, but that's the presence of God. He wants to fill the earth with his presence, and how can he do that but to anoint each and every one of us, to dedicate so the good. temple with fire on your head and say, I mean, this is not we're not going to all have fire on our heads, okay? <laughs> that's not happening today. I mean, God can do anything, but I don't think that's going to happen today. I don't think that's what he meant. He wants to restore his glory in the earth. Yep. It's all about reconciliation. If he wants to fill the earth with his glory, you, my friend, are a temple. Yeah. That sounds so weird, but you the God lives in you. Yeah. And that's not like you're gonna throw up God if you get the stomach flu. That's you, he dwells with you. And <laughs> <laughs> nobody's getting the stomach flu in here, okay? I am just gonna proclaim that. The fire on their heads, this temple dedication. This is what happens when we have the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of God rests on us. This Ruach breath of life comes into us, okay? And he dedicates us. I dedicate you. You're my people. Yeah. You're mine. Okay. Nothing can take that away. Just like the fire and glory, they, they proclaimed. That the, this thing that they, they didn't really know this. They just saw it, okay? They saw it, and then they worshiped God. These people weren't like, we got filled with fire and God and the Spirit. That didn't happen. They didn't have to tell everybody what happened in the temple. All the people saw what happened in the temple. They saw the difference. They knew that God was there. It was just this knowing that God was there. They understood his love. And all of a sudden, they bowed down and they worshiped. And they said, he's so good. His love is so good. These people that just saw this fire in this temple... The context of our workmanship, what we do with our hands, we are his workmanship. It's not by our hands, but through us, by his hands, by the purpose that he's put in you, by the thing in your job that you're like, this gives me purpose. This makes me feel the Ruach breath of life that I feel, the joy in the Holy Spirit, that thing. That's the purpose. So when we read Second Corinthians 6, what agreement has the temple, that's me, that's you, of God, with idols? With the thing that's my hand, what I do, that's disconnected from what God does and what God wants to do. For we are the temple of the living God, and as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God And they will be my people. I will dwell with you. We're stewarding the thing, the ruach breath that God put in us. And when we can encounter that purpose, the creator in us and the creator in the world around us, and all of a sudden we know that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. Maybe not what we have to do, but my why. That's why I do it. Your job isn't just a job. What you do matters, and it's the way that God designed it. The oikonoma, it's this economy and worship and work. It's this thing that God has designed. That economy out there, your job out there, God designed the way that works. It's all over the Bible. We want you to know that here at Courage Church, we support that. And we want to encourage you to keep doing that and how important that is. We wanna start encouraging and training and coaching you in your endeavors in the economy. We belong out in the world doing the economy thing, having jobs. We steward the gifts that God gives us. Our economic activity has to be an intentional act just like Adam intentionally continued to work the ground Of worship in response to God's gracious provision of our jobs. And then worship, it's not something we choose to do. It's just something that we're doing. And we're filling the whole earth with his glory. We can do this.
0: We we tend to kind of compartmentalize our, our lives a bit. We're like we say, okay, well, we have our work life, and that's here, and that's in this compartment, right? And then, but and then over here in this compartment, we have church, or we have ministry, we have what all this is. We're all together, right? And we have that compartment. We have our home life. That's another compartment. And, um, and you know, maybe you, you come to church, you put this in the ministry compartment. You have a worship service, you put that in there. You go to a prayer meeting, you put that in there. You go feed the homeless, you put that in there. You do joy of the deed, you put that in there. But then. Uh, you know, and the problem with that is you start doing that, you, you do a couple of those things, you put enough things in that compartment, you start to feel like, oh, maybe I'm on a good track, right? But because these things are really essentially in these different compartments in most of our lives, really there's almost like an invisible wall that we put up between them often, don't we? Between each of these things. But the problem with that is for the average person, From the time they graduate from high school or college, whatever time they enter the marketplace, whenever that is, to the time that they retire, they spend an average of about 50% of their awake time at work. Maybe a little bit less if you're a workaholic, then uh, quite a bit more. It could be up to 70 or even more percent for people who really, really have kind of made work an idol. And they spend all their time doing that. Um, But that means that if you view work as only a means to an end, and you view it only as something you just do so that it can get you someplace else, then like for a paycheck or for a promotion or for the next job or whatever that may be, then the problem with that is you're giving away half of your life to buy the other half. And that means you're missing half of your life. But in in the book of Exodus... There's this, this moment. Israel's in bondage. They're working and working and working and nonstop. It's day after day after day, 430 years, no day off, seven days a week, no holidays. They're just suffering at the hands of Pharaoh. They're working and working and working and working. And finally, God had had it with Egypt. He'd had it with Pharaoh. And so he calls Moses. He says, Moses, go tell Pharaoh this. So it's God speaking through Moses. And, and, and he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go so they can serve me. Okay? Now the word serve is the, Greek, or the Hebrew word avad. So Israel, they've been working and working and working to find no fulfillment in their work. It was emptiness. It was hopelessness. There was no point to it in their minds. And then God comes into this picture and he says, you know what? I want you to stop working for Pharaoh and I want you to start working for me. Let my people go so they can serve me. But the word Used for serve, the word avad actually has three meanings in Hebrew. The Hebrew language, uh, a lot of words have more than one meaning. and It's very significant. The word avad means serve. The word avad means work. And the word avad means worship. Some Bible translations actually say, let my people go so they can worship me. In 2 Kings 2.10, even in the translations that say serve, here in four different times, the word is worship, 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 worship. But this is crucial. God tells Pharaoh, let them go. Let them stop working for you in this never-ending cycle that brings no hope. It brings no meaning. It brings no purpose. It only leads to despair. Let them go from all that. Because you can't treat people as subhuman anymore. Let them go so that their entire lives, as they continue to work could actually be an expression of worship to me. No matter where they are, no matter what they're working on, may God fill the earth with the glory of God through these people.
1: If your vocation is your identity, the rest of your life becomes disconnected from who you are, from that worship, from that work. And it's just a throwaway, it's pointless all of it becomes pointless. There's no purpose. There's nothing to get you up in the morning. There's nothing to make you want to do a good job, to be present at your job, or be present with your family, or present with your friends. God made you in his image so that every facet of who you are is connected to him. It's designed to reflect Him. It's a, it's a workmanship of His hands. And, and seriously, if you're in this place and, and you feel like, no, I don't like my job. I don't have a purpose like that. There's no way to find a purpose like that. Or, I kind of want to have a reason to do this job that God's gifted me. That maybe I don't think it's for now and maybe I just think it's just a job. If you feel like it's just a job, you need the Holy Spirit to empower you, to yeah. call you to give you purpose. You need the Ruach breath of God, the numa, to come and inspire you to do the worship part, to have the purpose, to say, you know what, God? You designed this whole world, this whole economy, my whole life, who I am, everything I am. Connect me with that breath of life in my job or in the thing that I do, the work that I do that doesn't seem like, how do I worship there? If you want that, we want to pray for you today. So when we, when we sing this last song, I want you to come up and I would like to pray for you. I would like to pray that God inspires you. Or if you feel like, yeah, I had that, but I just kind of lost it because life is hard and long. The days are long, the days are short, however you see it. The days are. And they're the days that God gave you. And he wants his breath of life to reconcile you back to him.